You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Big Noon Sports, featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times bestselling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. Here's Lars and Matt. Hey, it's Friday. Glad you have dialed us in on Big Noon Sports with Matt and Lars and Justin. This show is being presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. It is Friday. I'm glad for that. I don't think folks north of us up in Tennessee are very glad with the news the NCAA handed down today as far as rules violations. Uh, in a nutshell, Lars, 200 individual infractions. $8 million fine, uh, 28 scholarships will be lost, all that, but they can still play in bowl games. Uh, you know, the NCAA and its strength is uh, not what it once was, but when they want to bow up on somebody for violations in recruiting, they can still do it. And they absolutely handed it to Tennessee and um, – the, the money and the scholarship losses are like none I've ever read. Lars? Yeah. Um, it's the scholarship losses that hurt the most. Uh, the, the, the money, you know, they can come up with without much of a problem. But, uh, you know, the, the headline that, that Tennessee fans are clinging to is no bowl ban. And that's good because it, when you're banned from a bowl, that obviously really hurts your recruiting and hurts just your national exposure, which uh, also hurts recruiting. But the fact that um, they're losing those 28 scholarships, I mean, that's uh, essentially a full class of, of players that you're, right. that you're missing. And uh, as we discussed yesterday, when, when it comes to recruiting, it's such an inexact science, and you're gonna miss on so many players regardless, right? And now that you are essentially, again, removing an entire class of players from the Tennessee roster, that's a big hit. And I, I feel bad for Josh Heupel, you know, because this didn't happen under his watch. And yet right. he's the one that has to suffer the consequences. And so in a way, it just it doesn't seem fair. It really doesn't. I mean, it's never seemed fair, though, Lars, has it? Because usually it's the next guy that suffers the penalties and the other guy has been fired or dismissed or retired or yeah. resigned or whatever the case. But, you know, I, it borders on hypocrisy because now you can do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, and you wonder just how damaging is this to Jeremy Pruitt? And the fact that, uh, you know, does this sort of brand him as someone who is untouchable now? And will Pruitt, you know, ever really get a uh, high profile position again? Uh, he has been out of college or professional coaching since uh, serving as a, a senior defensive assistant for the New York Giants in 2021. And uh, Pruitt received a six-year show cause order, and he, uh, if if he would uh, be hired by an NCA school, he would be suspended for his first full season. 
So uh, the NCA came down especially hard on, on Jeremy Pruitt. Um, and you and I both got to know Jeremy over the years. And, and I, you know, I always liked him. I, I feel bad for him. Uh, I don't know the, the real intricate details of this case other than the fact that, uh, that you know, that, that there was money, you know, handed over to recruits. And, um, and yeah. And so his wife, Casey, his wife was the one making the cash payments to the players' families. Yeah, yeah. Where's her suspension? Um, yeah, so he, uh, yeah, he, so Pruitt, he was 16 and 19 in his three seasons for Tennessee, which was a disappointment. I thought he was going to do much better. But, but you know what? Sometimes guys are just more suited to be coordinators and not head coaches because it's, it's two completely different jobs, obviously. And, uh, and Pruitt just uh, didn't, wasn't able to cut it as a big-time college head coach. And he was fired for cause by Tennessee after the 2020 season. And he didn't receive a single dime of his $12.6 million buyout. So... Um, yeah, it, that was uh, it, this was a this was a rough uh, a, a, a rough go of it for for Tennessee, but again, it, it's weird to me that that most of the uh, reporting on this case centers around the fact that ah oh, Tennessee avoided a bull ban. Well, no, I mean that that is not as significant as losing twenty eight scholarships. I mean, 28 scholarships, 28. Matt. That is that a is devast- that that is is devastating One third blow. of your roster. That is one third of your roster, absolutely. And that, that um, is not something that you can just put a Band-Aid on. And this is really going to hamper Josh Heupel moving forward. And, and you do hate it for him because he has Tennessee moving in the in an upward trajectory right now right and coming off of last season and and everybody around the program is feeling good about Jeremy Pruitt I'm sorry not not feeling good about Jeremy Pruitt <laughs> feeling good about Josh Heupel and uh, and and the direction that he has everything moving and um, Josh Heupel is a heck of a coach I think he's a heck of a coach, and I wasn't so sure uh, how he was going to fit into the SEC, but he has fit beautifully, and uh, and he's done a really good job of uh, managing his roster with uh, the transfer portal and and recruiting, and um, I, I you know. Going back to when I was a kid, I, I always, for some reason, I just loved the Tennessee football program. I just, I, I like Johnny Majors. I just, uh, I, I, they, they were, you know, from afar when I was living, you know, growing up in the Midwest and I thought the SEC was like a foreign country. My, my favorite team in the SEC was the, the Tennessee Volunteers because oh I always- Oh my, we just I, lost 50% I, I'm sorry, of our but, but I always thought, I always thought, <laughs> again, but I was, I was a kid. I, I didn't know, you know, really what the, the SEC was all about. And uh, I just liked, I just liked. Uh, well, I liked their uniforms for one. <laughs> when you're a kid, that's how you, that's nah. how you, uh, that's how you form your allegiances. If you think they got cool uniforms, but 
Yeah, this was a, a, a big hit uh, for the, the volunteers. And, um, you know, just when they take two steps forward, it's like now they've taken three steps back. Lars, how much of Tennessee's success from last season is on Hendon Hooker? Oh, I, I think a ton of it. Yeah. I mean, can they rebound with Joe Milton? I think they can. Yeah. I mean, I think Hendon Hooker was on his way to being a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, uh, Hendon Hooker, man, he played so good against Alabama and he played so good uh, early in the season. And, and when he got hurt, that's when things kind of, you know, began to unravel for Tennessee a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the, the that they have the, the the players in place to be very very good this season. Um, will they be a contender to win the SEC? Probably not. But are they an upper echelon SEC team? Absolutely. Yep. And we now know what the lead question will be for Josh Heupel. It will be concerning how he deals with these NCAA penalties. And we know now that Georgia's lead question will be what's going on off the field in Athens. So uh, sooner or later next week, they'll actually get around to talking about Joe Milton and to talking about uh, the dog's possibility of a three-peat. But uh, right now, and folks, this is the lead story in sports to date at 12-11 on a Friday afternoon. It is seriously, Lars, what? Above the fold. <laughs> uh, it is the top lead story on ESPN's website and many others as well. So um, Tennessee's got their problems. And the one thing about having a decision like this handed down is that now it's done. You can literally yeah, put that, it in that, your rearview mirror. That is mirror the best and, thing. And, and, yeah, yeah, because and it, that's uh, that's a, that's the best thing about it. Even though you're suffering critical scholarship losses, and, and this has been hanging over the program for a couple of years, and they knew something was coming. Uh, it, it, you know, it could have been worse, believe it or not, uh, but it was still pretty bad. But you know, when you, when you just sort of step back and look at Tennessee as a whole. I mean, look at how much disarray this program was in when Tennessee announced it was firing Pruitt because that uh, the the AD at the time, Philip Fulmer, he also announced his retirement. So the athletic department was without leadership, without a head coach, and then Danny White was hired. And Danny White has turned out to be an absolutely terrific athletic director. He has revamped just about the entire athletic department at Tennessee. And Tennessee is now coming off uh, an 11-2 and season under Josh Heupel. That was uh, the program's first season since 2007 with double-digit wins. They won the Orange Bowl. They have all this momentum heading into 2023. And then... What three days before SEC media day starts, <laughs> get walloped by the NCAA with what are now antiquated rules. I mean, you know, it, it's yeah. If if the rules that were in place now were in place when uh, all this went down with Jeremy Pruitt and apparently Jeremy Pruitt's wife, uh, I don't think we'd be having this discussion today. 
No, they could have worked all this through a collective, you know, and, yeah. and claim no harm, no foul. Uh, but those rules were in place back then, and Tennessee is going to suffer incredible consequences. Has Jeremy Pruitt ever come out and spoken about this? Has he ever, uh, you know, claimed his innocence? Not to my knowledge. Nobody has, has come forward. So, yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah, he's one heck of a defensive coach. Yeah. But I tend to agree with what you said. You know, some guys um, were meant to be coordinators and some were meant to be head coaches. And um, I, I'll give you a, a very, very good example is in Mike DuBose at Alabama. Um, he's a heck of a defensive coach. He and uh, Bill Oliver put together that defense against Miami in the 93 Sugar Bowl which was absolute football brilliance. But when it came to being a head coach, you know, sometimes it just doesn't click. But uh, it's, uh, it's bad news for Tennessee. And as we go to our first break, uh, there's more bad news for Northwestern, too. Uh, and this is not on the football field. We'll get to that story. Our guest lineup today, Lindsey Hall, longtime sportscaster here in the Southeast, will be with us at 1230. And then at 1.15, my go-to all-time favorite interview guy, Tom Banks, will be with us. As you listen to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sport. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Occasionally cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers and thunderstorms this afternoon and early tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 73. For tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with scattered showers and storms by afternoon. The high, 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 88 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports. It's Matt, Justin, and Lars Anderson at the Tide Studios. Tide 100.9, flagship station over there in Tidaltown. Appreciate all of you dialing us in. Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald, uh, we have talked uh, at length about that particular situation. And earlier in the week, brought up the fact that uh, their baseball program was having issues of its own. Jim Foster has been accused of um, abuse and bullying for his team. Well, uh, Northwestern didn't wait very long. No suspension, no nothing. They fired him. So usually when a school has enough evidence to just go ahead and fire a coach, 
which they did with uh, Fitzgerald. He has responded, and he is going to sue Northwestern. But, uh, man, Lars, they didn't waste any time in the baseball program with Jim Foster, did they? No, they did not. And um, and I was uh, speaking with a uh, Northwestern alum this morning, Teddy Greenstein, who was a former colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated, who actually started on the same day. And uh, Teddy worked at the Chicago Tribune for a long time. And he is just 100% in favor of this firing. Uh, he, did not, uh, he did not mince words when we talked. He's, he was just like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly like get the guy out of there. Um, and, you know, he's only with the, the Wildcats for one year uh, before being relieved of his duties effectively immediately. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, talk about a school uh, or and an athletic program in crisis. That would be Northwestern right now. And um, and so, yeah, it, 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 the you know, the athletic director, Derek Gregg, he didn't reveal the exact reasons for Foster's dismissal. But he made vague references to, quote, building a culture, unquote, at the prestigious school, which, again, located outside of Chicago. And, um, and so he was sort of like speaking in code. And you, you kind of had to read between the lines of what he was saying, what he was really meaning by what he was saying. But it appears that... Um, you know, that something happened uh, and maybe something came out in that investigation that the law firm did and his name came up somehow. I, I don't know. Uh, do you sense that the, the two are connected at all? Uh, that's a really good question, Lars. Uh, you're not supposed to make me think on Friday. No, <laughs> I, I really don't. Um I don't know if those two cultures combine or, or collide at any level. Right back at you, pal. What do you think? I don't know because like Foster, he has such a good reputation. I mean, he was he was a head baseball coach at Army. I mean, he was a, he was at West Point for uh, for several years, and he led Army to four consecutive lead titles. He was. He was named the Patriot League uh, Coach of the Year in 2022. Um, and so it, it, something just doesn't add up here. Something just doesn't add up. And uh, But you know what? There's a lot of good student journalists on that campus. And I bet we will uh, find out more information. But, yeah, this is a... This is definitely um, an athletic department that is... Uh, under siege right now, but it's uh, it's self-inflicted wounds that that are really hurting them. And and I'm just seeing this right now. Uh, Rory McIlroy shot a 66 today. The Scottish Open to skyrocket up uh, the top of the leaderboard. He's at 10 under, and so uh, Rory is tearing it up uh, so far through two rounds. And and we talked about Rory yesterday and his powerful comments that he had against live golf and and how uh you know rory hasn't won a major since uh, 2014 but if he can you know put together a, a nice tournament here at the scottish open 
going into next week's British Open, I think you almost have to say that uh, that Rory will be the favorite, the betting favorite, and they do a lot of gambling on golf over in England and Scotland. Uh, that Rory they gamble will be- on everything, don't they? <laughs> they do. They, they do. gamble on who's going to be on the cover of Inquirer. <laughs> yes. uh. They do. Um, but, yeah. And um, so, yeah, Billy uh, or, or Rory McIlroy, really, really strong round today. I, li- I like it. I love it. And, you know, I think we're all ready for this guy to come forward again with his A game and, and win uh, a major, if not too many more. Because um, he had four real fast and what has it been since 2014? 2014. It's hard to believe that it's been it really that is. long. I mean, that's nine years, man. But the last one came at Royal Liverpool at the British Open, and that's where the Open is being played at next week. So Rory knows his way around that course. Um, so I, I, I certainly will be rooting for him. Um, yeah, I you know his swing looks good. Uh, I think his uh, his his temperament is good. Uh, his attitude is good. Sometimes the, the one thing about Rory that I've noticed is when things begin to go wrong, his body language gets bad, and that is one thing that I teach my kid all the time. All my kids is when you are playing sports, you always live to fight the next the next pitch the next down the next out the next uh basketball possession don't let anything affect you because one it shouldn't because you you move on wipe it erase it from memory right just like nick saban always says uh that each play is a has a lifespan of its own and once that life is over erase it move on to the next and uh when you don't do that and you show bad body language it it fuels the other team because they know that they got you you know they they know that they have you on the ropes and and that 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 you don't have the the mental fortitude to compete with them and so uh anyway that's uh that's my dad advice for the day to rory (laughs) <laughs> don't 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 let your frustration manifest in bad body language. And he, uh, you're right. I haven't really thought about it uh, at length. But if he hits a bad shot or misses a putt, what happens to his head? It, it goes it, straight down, straight down, straight down, and, 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 his, looks and, at his, the and his shoulders go down. And he's yep. just, he's, you know, he can't contain the frustration that overcomes him. Uh, because you know, gosh, when you have the talent that Rory does, I mean, and and he then the shot doesn't go the way that he thinks it should. Uh, it's got to be in, intensely frustrating. I mean, golf is a frustrating game for everybody, uh, and even for the pros, um, it's a hard game. But um, yeah, that would that would be my one my one thing uh, about Rory McIlroy is. Uh, is just clean up the body language a little bit. But also, you know, it has been so long since he's won a major that the frustration has just been mounting and mounting. And uh, I'm watching Rory right now, and, man, his, his gosh, his iron game is just beautiful. Uh, he's locked in. 
His putting is uh, spot on. I mean, here he's just hitting like a, a triple breaker uh, uh, and, you know, uh, just everything is working for him right now. And uh, But the thing is, if you win the Scottish Open, I mean, this would be something interesting to look up. If you win the Scottish Open, how difficult is it to go back-to-back and then win the British Open? You know, oh, it's hard to carry that know. on. In golf, it's hard to win two two tournaments in a row. That's why what Lindsey Nelson, was it, golly, Byron Nelson? Yeah. Won 11 in a row? What the heck? Oh, you know, wow. all of this commentary uh, about Rory makes me think, well, I bet he's a horrible poker player. <laughs> hey, let's take a quick call before we go to break. And uh, we welcome Donald in on Big Noon Sports. Donald, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How you doing, sir? Life is great. Tell me about it, man. Tell me about it, man. Uh, go back many years with you, all the way back to Channel 33 days over there, uh, off of uh, I think off of Hargrove. Uh, yeah, back hey, in the is day. That, right. is that when did, is that when one Matt Coulter had the most killer mustache in Alabama? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Just had to. Just had to. But, I got up uh, every yeah. morning thinking that looked good. What was wrong <laughs> with me? Well, well, I would have to ask you, did, uh, Matt, before you came to work, did you uh, is it from the mirror before you came to work? Did you brush the mustache to make sure it was just right? <laughs> I'm I, sorry, I couldn't. I, I couldn't no, do this. but know, this is the best call ever. You I'm did, loving it. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I had a little comb. Okay. Yeah, but you. Uh, you were part of a great crew over there back in the yeah, day. Well, but, uh, they were fabulous. Hey, yeah. But, uh, hey, the reason I'm calling, I've just got to express something here. Uh, since the Bohannon issue in, in early May and all the way up to the season ended for Alabama baseball, the baseball team, is, and I'm, they're not the only ones. There are other schools and other sports at the same thing. has been decimated by transfers and uh, things like that. I know they've got one kid going to Florida, one going to LSU. There's another one that's going to be visiting LSU next week. And I understand that their LSU's NIL for baseball is outrageously high. But my question is for collegiate athletics in general, I think this could be a death nail for collegiate athletics in general, not just football, because these schools are poaching players from other schools. And yep. in one case, uh, it was mentioned uh, Kobe Shelton, it was mentioned that during the SEC tournament that he was going to be gone after the season was over, and he was still playing. And so I thought in the right frame of the world there were rules against that, but now there are no rules, and schools can poach players anytime they want to. And I think it could end up being a death nail for collegiate athletics. And I'm frustrated because I'm a baseball fan, and I've been a supporter of the baseball program for many years with the Grand Slammers and stuff. But the thing is, you know, Alabama just completed a great season, best season in 13, 14 years, and yet it, the shell of that team is gone. And, uh, and I mean, I've heard that some of these players are going to the highest bidder. Uh, I've heard, uh, you know, dollar amounts that just blow your mind. But my question is, you can't do anything about NIL and uh, the portal something to great but what can you do to uh, alleviate the poaching that is going on 
Well, good question. You would think it's a great question, Donald. And I appreciate your call. Unfortunately, we got to get to a break, but I'd like to address that question just quickly. Um, I don't know if uh, putting up some kind of system which Saban has alluded to where you make them employees of the university. I don't know if that helps. But um, you need, you're right. You need the new, new you need the new coach Rob Vaughn to uh, you know cast his charms over these players. But the fact is, once the coach uh, leaves a program or is fired under the new NCA rules, uh, players can leave the program right within 30 days. And so we may be coming up on that 30-day window for Alabama baseball. I'm not sure. But uh, that's why you're seeing a bunch of Northwestern players, uh, you know, either contemplating getting in the portal or already getting in the portal because Pat Fitzgerald was let go. Coming up on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage is Lindsey Hall. You folks in Tuscaloosa, you talk about Donald going way back on me. This guy was uh, at WDBB uh, 30 plus years ago and he has been in um, in Mississippi for 30 plus years since then. Lindsey Hall is next on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. In Georgia last year, uh, Georgia's gone. Uh, Kentucky's on. I'll take that swap. I think they're the team to really watch out for. Uh, Matt, you've been in the Starkville a lot and seen Alabama struggle. LSU goes in there. That's. Um, I think they're going to really be a good team. They're not going to win the conference, but they may have a say-so with both Alabama and LSU going in uh, to, to Starkville. And Will Rogers, is, you're right. I mean, everybody's talking about every other quarterback, but 82 touchdowns and almost 11,600 yards. This will be his fourth year as a starter, by the way. Um, Mike Leach was, uh, you know, the most unique head coach, I think, not just in college football, but also all of football. And uh, he was very generous with his time with us. Uh, he even called one of our colleagues, Tony Curry, uh, during halftime of a game for an interview. <laughs> it was only only something Mike Leach would do. And then we lost him on December 12, yeah. 2022. Um, certainly everybody across the country mourned. But I'm, I'm curious to know, what was it like in Mississippi? And, and how did, uh, did Mike's uh, untimely timely death uh, of effect uh, not just you know the sports loving fans in Mississippi but he was such a larger than life personality just you know just how is death impacted the state man it, it was unbelievable it really was and I learned a lot about coach Leach after his death and all the things he did behind the scenes to people uh, on a personal story my daughter is a recruiter from Mississippi State and she tells me, you know, and everybody tells the story. He would just come in and spend a lot of time. Here's a football coach at a major institution at a major conference, and the guy would just come in and sit down and talk with her for for no apparent reason at all. I mean, not because he he says, "Hey, you got to get this big recruit, uh, you know." And I, you know, I need this guy just to come in and talk. And and there were hundreds and hundreds of stories about 
what Mike Leach did outside of football. I mean, that was just unreal. Hey, Lindsey, uh, we're up against a break. You know this business. Yeah. Can you hang on through a break and talk for just a few more minutes before we get to the top of the hour? Man, yeah. Matt, for you, anything, my friend. You know that. <laughs> hey, we're, we're not going to El Paso. Paycheck, right? You no, promised a paycheck. You promised a paycheck, right? No, oh, well, I, I promised know. you I would not bring up the Sun Bowl. And uh, uh, I, I will I was, adhere I was, to that. I was misguided. <laughs> there was a group of misguided people. All right, uh, when, when we get back, more with Lindsey Hall on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Occasionally cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers and thunderstorms this afternoon and early tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 73. For tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with scattered showers and storms by afternoon. The high, 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones, our producer, and our guest from WTOK in Meridian, Mississippi, is Lindsey Hall. I've never asked you this before. Are those awkward call letters to work with? Because you're you're token. Yeah, yeah. We go more uh, with the Channel Eleven, News Eleven, News Center Eleven. Yeah, uh, they are. So we go we go more with the Eleven. You don't say, uh, "Hey, we're token the news tonight no. at six. No, we talk and we we've heard it all. So no, we we go more more. We've always played off the eleven part of it, but yeah, that is a uh, that's brutal. I don't even know. I don't even know where it came from, man. I've, I've been here almost. I mean, they're going on forty. Yeah, 30, 37 at the end of this year, as a matter of fact. At the end of this uh, month. Uh, Matt, Good it's going to be our Matt, goal. You, you just got the line of the week right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you would think uh, I'd know. Lindsay, I wanted to ask you, I am uh, about to head over to uh, the campus at Alabama and talk to some high school students who aspire to become journalists. And let's say... One of the students in the audience uh, raises their hand and says, you know, I love sports. I love news. Which one should I go into? What would you tell them? Whoa. Sports sport or news? Yeah. Boy. Uh, if you love you both know, equally. Well, uh, you know, sports is so tough right now because there are far, far fewer jobs. I, I would probably tell them news 
because there are a lot more jobs. And then once you're in, once you get your foot in, then you can probably move into sports if you really want to because we've had people here that we've hired uh, in the last several years that had to do that. They wanted to get into sports, but they've taken a kind of a news position. And then, then they eventually worked themselves into sports. So, because uh, gosh, I mean, y'all seen the layoffs at the top level, right? Going on right now on ESPN, it, it's happening everywhere. And major, you know, their their TV stations, man, y'all know they don't even have sports departments anymore. And we're still fortunate here. We've had a two, two and a half sports department for the last 40 years, and we still have it. But uh, gosh, no, if I was asked that question, I would say definitely news. You got Sad, more though. Meridian. You got more in Meridian than most of the stations here in Birmingham. It's, you uh, know, Matt, and and small the, the very small markets like us. We're a very small market, but the very small markets in sports have been affected the least. That's because you go out and you go local. Yeah. Yes. We, real, we, real simple. We, we cover some things that larger markets never do, but it is it has saved us as far as keeping keeping our jobs. It has. In your time at Tuscaloosa. Uh, at WDBB. Um, name a couple stories that, that you covered that will always stick out and stick with you. Oh, man. What a question. Um, woo, that is a good one. Uh, Let me get back to you on Monday. <laughs> gosh. No, that is, that's, a, that's high and tight, man. I'm, I'm putting I, some I think, uh, here. I think... Uh, Walden Tucker, I remember I, the, the some of the some of the legendary the Walden Tucker at Fayette High School uh, oh, was legend. a big one for me. That goes way back, uh, and uh, I, that was a great story because he was a legend. I remember doing one on David Housel coming coming home to Gordo. Is that is that kind of out there in left field? But him coming home to Gordo was just a story that we had. And here we are, Tuscaloosa Station, but doing that. Um, you remember the and first time you went to when when you went to Gordo and covered a game? I went. Oh, the oh, it's the, the Packers. It's the Green Gordo, Bay Packers. Gordo, Gordo yeah. Green Wave, and yeah. and yeah, and I'm trying to think of the who was the coach. He was a great coach uh, over at Holt, the Holt Ironmen. Uh, who a legendary coach over there? I, I, I'm trying to remember characters. Um, he was a legendary coach. I'm, I'm talking a long time ago, Matt. I mean. Um, and of course, we were there the three years of the Ray Perkins era. Um, that's the three years, eighty four, five, and six. And we were fortunate enough to do the Ray Perkins show and got to travel all over the place. And we did Wimp Sanderson show. There were some funny stories. I, I think the, pe- the thing that people don't realize, I wish people got to see the other sides of Ray Perkins and Wimp Sanderson because people think these guys are just crass and no fun and all that. And 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 got behind the scenes, they were totally opposite. I mean, they just now you know Wimp, and he was a hilarious guy. But Ray Perkins was actually a fun guy to be around when he wasn't on the sideline stuff, or in front of a camera. Yeah, he was he was rough on the media, and he didn't uh, have to be. Gosh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I can't just a specific story. The characters though back then, uh, but uh, Gordo, yes, that that was a. That sticks out, and just traveling, getting. I was literally a couple of years out of school, and getting to travel all over the country, covering. I mean, flying. And we got to fly in like Paul Bryant Jr.'s 
uh, airplane quite a bit, flying all over the country, covering Alabama football. I was going and, and getting paid for it, man. That was what was crazy. We were getting paid very little, but getting paid to do that, it was like, you're, you got to be kidding me. Do you have a, a favorite story that you've worked on over the years going all the way back uh, just to the beginning of your career in, in sports or, or, or even in news? Is there is there a piece that you are particularly proud of? We do. Uh, you know, back when, when I first came here a few years ago, a hundred years ago, we did a kind of behind-the-scenes story when they had uh, Greyhound racing at Green Track. That was kind of neat, going behind the scenes and seeing how they raised the dogs, things like that, because Greyhound racing at the time had a kind of a bad name, a bad image, and we went behind the scenes and showed how these dogs were really kind of treated like royalty, and that was a kind of a fun series. And I've kind of become the reporter here that we do the uh, the – it's it's called County Road 11, Channel 11, I, and I go out and just, it's fun. We go find the interesting people, places, and things. It may be a, a old man and old you'd appreciate it, an old mom and pop's restaurant or an old old blues bar out in the middle of nowhere. That That's the kind of stories that, that I've, tried, I've been doing the last 10, 15 years and that are off the beaten path type things, and the, 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 those are always the uh, the most fun stories to me. All right, Lindsay, we're coming up on SEC Media Days, so let's just oh, talk boy. about that for just a – yeah. Like you said, it used to be fun. Uh, now yeah. it's truly work. <laughs> it's too much uh, work. <laughs> what time is the hospitality suite open? That's <laughs> all I want. <laughs> That's the most important. We were, we, were first, we were first in line. <laughs> we were first in line, Lindsay. You were so right. Uh, <laughs> um, who, do you, who would you pick right now to play – in the SEC championship game? Well, you know, I, I, I start by eliminating who won't be and uh, look at schedules. And, you know, it's, uh, I, out, of, out of the East, if it's not Georgia, I'm going to be shocked. Although it may not be quite as easy. they got to go to Tennessee, and that's not easy. South Carolina's pretty good, but Georgia's going to be there, I think. And in the West, it's, you know, uh, you think it's going to come down to Alabama and LSU, I think. Uh because, I, again, I'm eliminating teams. Auburn in the first year is not going to win it. The, the the two teams in the West that have to go to Georgia aren't going to win it. That's Auburn and Ole Miss. State's going to be pretty good, but not they don't have enough horses. Neither does Arkansas. Texas A&M, Petrino, and that marriage, I'm not sure. But not enough horses. That leaves Alabama and LSU. I mean, those are the two teams that can win it. And the game's in Tuscaloosa, and it's a big payback game. So I'm... I'm, I'm kind of call me call me Captain Obvious, but Bama, Georgia. What about a dark horse team that uh, you have your eye on? I Mississippi State. I, I may look four months from now when they're three and nine. Y'all don't call me to come back on the show, but <laughs> I, I think uh, we are State, taking I think, notes as we speak. I think State. I know Arkansas with Jefferson. I mean, you know, with the quarterback, it, it begins there. I mean. They're good. I mean, they're going to be good. I don't know what Auburn's going to have. I just I can't believe. I don't think Hugh Freeze is going to come in their first year and be and, and turn it around that fast. They'll be okay, but I, I think Mississippi State maybe a dark horse. I really do. Uh, I don't know if there's a dark horse in the East. You've got two good teams. I mean, I, I think we know what South Carolina is. I don't think we can call them a dark horse after they 
be what Clemson, Tennessee, uh, Notre Dame in the air, whatever. I, I, I don't think we can call them a dark horse. Yeah, and uh, Lars is a big fan of Beamer. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they're I think good. We all quietly, good. don't we all quietly pull for the Gamecocks? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think they're a lot more popular than people want to believe. But um, all right, Lindsey. Like Lindsey, uh, yes, man, sir. thirty min- thirty minutes flew by in a hurry. Hey, do you have like a Twitter account or a website or something where people can keep up with Lindsey and Meridian? Uh, just you can go to uh, you can go to wtok.com. We've all got uh, Facebook uh, wtok. That'll get you. Hit us up on. Uh, you'll find us, find me on Facebook there, Lindsey Hall. And by the way, for the Tide 100.9 crew, man, I'll be in touch next year, next June, when we have our 20th anniversary of our big golf tournament. You and your radio crew, y'all got a four-man team in it. I want y'all there. It's a big shindig. going to be a lot of fun. And I hope you guys can come over and bring a team, and uh, we'll talk later. June the 13th, by the way. Put that on y'all's calendar. Lars, um, the 19th edition of this golf tournament, Karen and I are sitting on the couch watching television. The phone rings at about 1030. Al Brown! Y'all were at Philip. You were at Philip M's, Philip M's. Yeah, by the way, that's what prompted me was I heard the Pearl River spot uh, going yeah. to the break. So it's great sponsors. And by the way, you guys want to come up to Pearl River, Matt. You know the drill. Yeah, and you've uh, let me tell you something. As we go to the top of the hour, real quick, what what kind of guy Lindsey all is? Uh, my wife Karen and I got married in a hurry. Didn't have to, you know. But uh, I said, well, let's just scoot on over to Pearl River and you know stay a couple of days, and gamble, and have some drinks and eat good food. Uh, well, Lindsey lines me up, but I had gotten a hotel for the previous night because I was unsure, and Lindsey. Comes and meets us for a drink, gives me his penthouse suite for the next couple of days, and takes mine at the Motel 8. I'm not kidding. I'll never forget that, and neither will Karen. You're a great guy, Lindsay. Thanks. Well, well, you were on your wedding night. <laughs> anyway, look, I hope you guys can come visit. I really do. It's a short drive, and hope you make the golf tournament. Come here anytime, really. Uh, we'll have a great time. You know, I think the world of you, buddy. And uh, you thank you for having me on your show. Lars, great talking to you, too, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really, really good stuff here. Had a great yeah. time, man. Thank you. I love All you, right. brother. You betcha. I love you, too. All right. Take Top care. of the hour on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Wow. It is already 1 o'clock. That first hour flew by on this 14th of July, Friday afternoon, in the steamy sun of Alabama. Uh, University of Tennessee slammed by the NCAA, $8 million fine. They had 200 infractions. Uh, 28 were level one, the most serious. Um, And 28 scholarships, I mentioned that, $8 million. 
And then a couple of more uh, restrictions uh, are going to be employed as well. But they will be able to continue to play in bowl games, and I think that Tennessee is certainly destined for that. Another headline, uh, headline nationally, Northwestern baseball coach Jim Foster has been fired. Um, it's uh, allegations of bullying and abuse with his players. Um, hey, here's one we didn't touch on first hour. Um, as I think we both agreed upon last week, Quinterly is going to transfer to Memphis and play for Penny Hardaway. That surprised me in the least. Once I heard he was visiting there, I said, that is the perfect fit. Um, Memphis, Penny, and JQ. Now, uh, other news from the NBA. Brandon Miller will not play the final two games of the summer league. Apparently, Charlotte has seen enough in his uh, debut as an NBA player, just in the summer league. Uh, he averaged 15.2 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, and 3.8 assists, almost four assists per game. <clears throat> so they said, what, what's, the, uh, what's the MO here? Did they just go, all right, we know this guy can play. Let's not risk injury. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And uh, Wemby, I'm not going to try to say his name, the number one overall pick. (laughs) Thank you, from France. He's looked really good. And he made a a comment the other day that, uh, that, that caught people a little by surprise. And he said, essentially, that the NBA is not as physical as European basketball. And then I started thinking about it, and... I think he has a point. Yeah. I do because of the rules of how the – this is not the 1980s, early 90s NBA when you got enforcers like Bill Lambeer, right? Uh, in, and in, Oakley. And, 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 yeah, and bad, Oakley. Bad boys. And, yeah. 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 And that, that stuff is not tolerated anymore. And, um, you know, it used to be that if you tried to, to, you know, make a hard move to the rim, you knew that you were just going to get drilled. Uh, and uh, those days are over. But in Europe, it is, I mean, we think of Europe, I think because of uh, the European players who have done well in the NBA have all been finesse kind of players, Right. Like, Shot makers. Yeah, like uh, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Tony Kukoc, uh, Tony Parker. Um, you know, just uh, th- there's haven't been a lot of, of physical, intimidating guys from Europe that have come over uh, to the to the U.S. and and really imposed their physical will. And I don't, Wemby's not either. I mean, he's just not built like that. Yeah, he's 7'5", but he's he's uh, like 7'5". He's Gumby. I mean, he's he's so skinny. Uh, he, this, he, but, man, he is, he's looked good. He's looked good. He's looked really, really good, I got to say. I, I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, I, I thought there would be an adjustment, uh, a big adjustment for him coming from uh, playing in France to the United States. But <clears throat> so far in the summer league, uh, in, in limited action, he's looked really good. Um, he has indeed, and so has Miller. Um, baseball gets back underway. I'm happy for that, Lars. It's been a, it's a long week for the Midsummer Classic, so uh, I'll be interested in watching 
the White Sox as they play in Atlanta. I, I forgot to ask you this, and even when we were uh, hanging out yesterday after the show, did you watch the ESPYS? Do you care about the ESPYS? Um, do the do, do the ESPYS even register to you? What, what's your no, just general no. feeling about the ESPYS? I'll look. Uh, I will not make it a point to watch it. I didn't even, to be honest with you, I didn't know it was on. Um, I like to see when local guys or local teams uh, or local females uh, have done well and are awarded. But as far as that, no. How about you? I mean, I used to kind. I used to kind of like it, but uh, it, it then. Then they got some guest hosts on there that just downright got political, which ESPN is not opposed to now. Um, so I, mean, I think that really turned me on. Um, yeah, so they have the ESPYs on the day that they do because that is literally the lowest, the, the, the slowest sports day of the year because uh, how else are you going to get all of the the world of sports or many many of the sports uh the many of the biggest stars in sports to go out to LA um yeah i don't know what was bigger news that mina kimes a reporter for espn <laughs> revealed that she was pregnant or that um or that lebron james said he's coming back for one more year uh, was there yeah. really a question there? Yeah, he, there a little bit. He hinted that he might retire uh, after the Lakers were eliminated. He he did, uh, but that was in frustration. You know, you, you can't you can't ever uh, take what an athlete says when they have just played their last game of the season. I mean, and they're talking about their career. You can't, in, in the heat of the moment, everybody, you know, you're so frustrated. You're like, yeah, maybe I'm done, you know. He didn't say it quite that strong, but he certainly hinted slash suggested that, um, that maybe it was time for him to step away. But I still think his dream is to play with his son for one season. And uh, and we'll see if if he can play with Bronny uh, or, or not. I think uh, LeBron would have to play what two more years, and that means Bronny would have to come out after his freshman year of college. Um, I just and I don't know if he is actually uh, good enough to do that. Uh, it could be a mistake for him, but um, <clears throat> that has long been LeBron James's dream. Uh, what did you tell me last week that uh, in NIL um, prediction, Bronny was like $8 million? Yeah. Something yeah, like that? Just yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. The, uh, the on three uh, NIL, uh, NIL like uh, model machine, whatever it is that they have, um, they uh let's see nil rankings here um yeah Bronny james um and we went through the the complex formula but on three is really on three.com which uh i think is a great site and they're 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 growing and they're doing really well but um yeah he is uh number one overall uh with um NIL valuation of 6.5 million. He, he already has like on social media. He has 13.3 million followers. That's crazy. Man, that is gold. 
yeah. the marketers. Yeah. I mean, I mean and that's, if he and that's, tweets out, I'm going to eat lunch with Ricky Bobby at Applebee's, boom. Boom. All yeah. the Applebee's will be full. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and Arch Manning still at, at number three, um, which is interesting. And uh, at number two is a college gymnast. Do you know who that is? Uh, is it Dune Dunn? Yeah, uh, young lady L- at LSU. Dunn. Yeah, Dunn. she's yeah. got on social. She's got eleven point nine million followers, and uh, she's got an annual value of three point four million. So, um, yeah. Um, Impressive. Did you watch? Am I led to believe here that you watched the ESPYS? No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. I just saw on social media. I'm still one of the few that are on Twitter. Everybody else is leaving Twitter, uh, which is not a bad thing in my estimation. Uh, my, I think my life will be better once I'm completely off of Twitter. Uh, but uh, Elon Musk has done a terrific job of just driving that company right into the ground. Um, I was going to ask you about another influencer, Paige Sparanic. Sparanic. You familiar with She's a golf social media influencer. Have you seen her stuff? No. Just talking about, you know, people, Twitter accounts, and how much money they can make just by being an influencer. You know, Bo When I grow Bo up, Nix. Lars, I want to be an influencer. <laughs> yeah, Bo Nix is eight on this list. $1.5 million annually. Uh, and then uh, Shadur Sanders, who is Dion's son, is number nine. Uh, with uh, he's got 1.3 million followers and an evaluation of 1.4 million annually. And then tenth uh, on the list is JJ McCarthy, who is the uh, quarterback at Michigan, with uh, a 1.4 million evaluation. Even though his he only has 262,000 followers. Lars, go speak and influence the budding young <laughs> minds of the University of Alabama. And we'll, uh, what do you say we do this again on Monday? We will not be at Media Days. Yeah, but have a good rest we of the can, show. We have a laptop. We, we can cover it just like we were in Nashville. That's right. That's right. No, hey, no, we, we're going to have guests on uh, from Nashville. We're going to have audio from Nashville. Uh, we're going to make our listeners feel as if they are in Nashville. Uh, you know, you and I have covered between us probably 40 SEC media days. And to me, it's just gotten to the point. It, it's not worth going anymore. It's just not uh, because uh, it, it's, it, 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 well, we'll get into that on Monday. We will indeed. The, uh, the worthiness of SEC media days. It's a big deal, though. A lot of members of the media are there, and they're writing about one and one thing only, and that's the Southeastern Conference and its uh, football prowess. Coming up, my go-to guy, Tom Banks on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. 
Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Occasionally cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers and thunderstorms this afternoon and early tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 73. Or tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with scattered showers and storms by afternoon, the high 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, Justin Jones, and going to be joined now by literally my go-to guy. When I got to have that guy, I, I have to have that block. Uh, I go to Tom Banks. Tom, how are you, man? Hey, I'm good, buddy. How are you? Oh, uh, man, life is treating me very, very well. And I, I know <laughs> it is uh, for you. Um, Tom, a couple of weeks, months ago, maybe a month, uh, we got together and I was very privileged that Herb Spencer asked me to kind of MC y'all's night reunion and dinner. And I got to see you and Jimmy and Buddy and Herb and, and many others. But um, it, I started thinking about this, Tom. Um, could you have ended your playing career any better than coming home? Well, it was um, I, the situation. I'd been out of the game for a couple of years, and I wanted to play so much more because I didn't like the way I left St. Louis. And to get the opportunity to do it here, play on Legion Field, the same field my dad had played on when he was at Auburn, and I had played on when I was at Auburn. And But Raleigh Dodge put together such a great group of guys, Matt, you know this. Um, and and uh, our locker room was just like the one I was in when I was in St. Louis. We all just uh, uh, worked with each other. Uh, uh, the uh, younger guys respected the older guys, but they, and they wanted to learn. Uh, and that was part of my job. Me and Robert Woods both, uh, Coach Dodge, uh, when he interviewed both of us for the job, he told us he was going to lean on us to help these guys understand what uh, what it takes to uh, to go through a full NFL season or a full pro football season. And and uh, he let us he let us work with him like that. What does it take, particularly when you're a lineman, contact every play, and when you're a center? What are some of the things that'll get you through a year? Well, first of all, you got to be able to laugh at yourself. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Tra- training camp is not a pleasant situation, so you better find something to laugh about every time you're out there. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, it, it becomes a matter of respect. Uh, uh, guys working together, especially on the offensive line, uh, there's so much communication that has to, to take place, and, and you just have to trust each other. Um, um, I was uh, real fortunate got to St. Louis and there was a group of guys that had been there all through the 60s and I learned from them, Ernie McMillan and Irv Goody were two of the, the, the great ones and uh, then we started changing over the offensive line I came in 70, 
Dan Doodle in 71, Conrad in 72. We got brought in Bob Young and, and, uh, and Roger Finney. And that was our offensive line for the next five years. And, and we, uh, we all, uh, um, had such a good time playing together, but also, also our results were really good. In 1975, we only gave up eight sacks for the year. And uh, at that time, that was a record. And, and, uh, we're real proud of that. But it was, a, it was a great group of guys. Uh, we had good coaches. Coach Coriel brought him in from, from San Diego State. Uh, Jim Hannafin, Joe Gibbs, uh, Rod Dowhauer. Great offensive staff. Uh, Tom, would you guys, you and Bob and, and Dobler, would, would you guys go out after practice and, uh, you know, maybe play pool or whatever? Uh, the occasional uh, uh, brewski uh, was part, would be involved in that also. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we we uh, we not only uh, 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 got together as a family in the locker room, but also we you know we we always hung together uh, after practices. Now we didn't do it every night, uh, but uh, a few of the guys did. But but um, you know it was just su- such a strong bond we all had together. Especially the the longer we played together, we just uh, uh, we trust each other. Like I said before, and that was uh, made a big difference on on the field on Sunday. Uh, what when you say Raleigh depended on you and Robert to mature these young players? Uh, what's what's the process involved there? Well, first of all, help them understand uh, when you get to training camp. It's it's not something you can go out there and, and leave it all on the field every practice every day. Uh, you got to go out there and pick your uh, pick your times uh, to but uh, be be serious, but also have a good time. You know, I might be up in uh, in the front with the with four of the linemen, and we're going over different things that are uh, not really interesting to to most people. But you're out there working with it, and you go back and and uh, I used to sit on my helmet all of that, and I'd watch the guys play, and and we'd be t- going back and forth in the back, and and uh, just getting to know each other. It was uh, that was a big as a part as big a part of uh, a building as it was the actual process. Tom Banks is our guest, former All-Pro with the Cardinals and with the USFL original Birmingham Stallions. You mentioned helmets, and I like to ask you this question every single time we get you <laughs> on because you, you just provide great insight into what, I don't know, likely uh, prevented you from any chance of CTE. Would you tell everybody that story about your helmet? Well, I was very fortunate uh, my rookie year, uh, we're we're at uh, Lake Forest, Illinois, and and we're going at it. I mean, it's full full bore, uh, 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 full full gear hitting every day, and I'm getting these headaches, and, and which I had never had before. I was just wearing a regular uh, uh, helmet, and so I went to our equipment man there. Bill Simmons was built, was his name. He'd been the Cardinals equipment guy. I don't know eight or nine years when I got there, and and he was just one of those guys that. You came to him with a problem. He was going to solve it. He'd been a high school coach and, and uh, just interested in helping the guys. And he pulled a helmet out after I told him what was going on with me. He said, there's a helmet here that nobody wants to wear because it's so heavy. He said, you might want to try it. It's got a great reputation. Well, it was called the Gladiator. And it had big old gel packs all around your skull once you put the helmet on. Now, it was heavy. But my dad started working on my neck when I was 12 years old. Uh, and uh, you know nothing, nothing uh, bothered me about uh, as far as the the weight or something on my neck. Uh, but I never had a concussion after that. I never had headaches anymore. 
And I, I, there's not a doubt in my mind, Bill Simmons is is uh, the, the guy that uh, put me in the right equipment to uh, to make it through unscathed. Uh, Tom, does the N- is the NFL doing enough uh, with their research into the CTE injuries? They're doing what they can. It's a very difficult situation because you got federal uh, laws as far as, as uh, sharing information. Uh, they've made a lot of strides. They know a lot more now about what's going on. Uh, we got so many guys I met that I, I talk to almost every day that, it, that this this will break your heart. I mean, you're talking to guys and they they have no memory of anything that uh, went on back then, and it's just a, it's such a shame. But uh, I, I wish we could do more for them. But but research continues on, and and uh, they're doing the best they can. You were player rep for quite a while, were you not? Six years. Mm-hmm. Um. Tell, tell us what that in, involves. Well, you represent the players in your locker room uh, on a national level where uh, our, our union uh, comes together. Uh, hard to do during the season because there's so much going on, but uh, you meet our, our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and uh, the union really started getting more and more powerful, uh, not powerful, but more and more recognized in the late 60s. And then into the 70s is when uh, we started talking about some real uh, uh, negotiation. And, of course, the owners didn't want to hear that. Uh, so we ended up going back and forth, back and forth. We ended up going and, and taking it to litigation because we didn't have the strength in our union to really uh, negotiate. So we had to go to, through, uh, through the court system. And uh, it took about 12, a little over 12 years but that's where free agency came from, and that's also where all the money came from. So I was I, I was really proud of that, and, and all of us were that were working uh, uh, for the, to represent these players and, the, and to get everybody a better break. Uh, another question uh, concerning what the NFL does today, as opposed to what it was doing back in your day, um, because I've, I, I get the feeling, and part of it from conversations with you, was it a struggle uh, to? get necessary and needed and deserved benefits for retired players? Well, it depends on who you're asking. You know, it was, it was important to us because uh, uh, we were all going to be retired players eventually. Uh, the owners didn't seem to uh, really uh, <laughs> be interested in doing something like that. So you, you get to the point where you have to you have to uh, uh, force them into a negotiating. And that's what uh, where litigation came in and, and uh, they had to uh, uh, allocate a certain amount of money to uh, uh, take for the well-being of the players, and um, um, you know it's been a while since I've been through all that, Matt. But I, I know what it felt like uh, to uh, to represent them. I go around afterwards when you when you got a few things. If, if somebody had been let go and they were they were supposed to get paid an extra check or whatever, you you go and get that for them. And you see what it means to these guys. Now this is a long time ago. I'm talking about. And I know the money's so good now that uh, nobody, none of them should have to worry about that. But we had to, uh, we were always looking out for each other. And that was uh, that was uh, uh, important to me because uh, being a union rep was something I, I uh, really was proud of. And my grandfather had been a, a union man on the, on the railroad when I was coming up. So I, I, was, uh, I was proud of that part of uh, what we did. In 1975, what was considered really, really good money for an NFL player? Oh, anything over $50,000 was huge. Um, and, I mean, 
you know, you, when you, your first year, you start off about uh, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars, and they they wanted to keep everybody in that range. But uh, when you have uh, uh, free agency, so everybody can can offer you money in, which is the American way, you know, to, to say that uh, uh, we weren't able to negotiate with another team, that we don't have that right in America. Uh, <laughs> that just wasn't it wasn't right, and uh, so we we went to it and and. Uh, it felt good to uh, to get those guys that uh, that kind of uh, uh, negotiation. Tom, uh, was any part of your contract or any contracts in the NFL guaranteed back then? Not back then. Uh, mine certainly wasn't. Uh, but um, uh, those things came along uh, again with free agency because the owners wanted to tie guys in and and, and keep them for a longer time. But, uh, you know, they could, back in the old days, they could let you go at any time. Wow. Um, unbelievable uh, how it's changed. <laughs> I guess you, you probably saw this. Quentin Williams, former Alabama defensive lineman, just signed a contract worth like $88 million and uh, $66 million of it was guaranteed. Right. Didn't you have a job in the offseason? <laughs> My first couple of years, I did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, after that, I just wanted to work harder to uh, to play to so I could play longer. So I, I spent more and more time in the weight room and, and just getting ready for the next season. Tom, can I carry you through a break? Talk just a few more minutes. Sure, man. I'll be right here. All right, Tom Banks is our guest on Big Noon Sports, presented today and Monday through Friday by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Banks is our guest on Big Noon Sports Friday afternoon in the steamy heat. What do you expect? July in Alabama. But uh, Tom is with us as we just talk football and several other topics. You know, in, in your career in the NFL, um, just stroll through a few names of defensive linemen that you had to tangle with. Well, Alan Page was one of the one of the greats. Uh, purple people eaters, baby. <laughs> Those guys are really good players. Uh, but Bob Lilly was another great one. Um, as far as the middle linebacker, I used to go against those guys uh, pretty regularly. Um, and uh, um, oh heck, Matt, who was the guy in um, in uh, Pittsburgh? Um, um, it was Jack no Ham and Lambert? Yeah. Lambert is who I'm thinking of. I'm sorry about that. Ham was a good player too. But Jack Lambert, he could I mean he could play. And uh, you know, there was just so many great ones. Uh, Willie Lanier in uh in Kansas City, an, another great player. 
um, I just uh, had so much respect for those guys. Now, uh, there were some of them that uh, took things a little bit too far. Dick Buckus was the dirtiest player in the, in the history of the league, in my humble opinion. Even though you uh, had Dobler on your side. Conrad. <laughs> Conrad was very upfront about uh, yeah. about oh, yeah. uh, the, he approached things. You know, he he didn't mess around. That's for sure. Well, I, I got to tell you, Matt. Once once we had uh, we're going against uh, Philadelphia, I think it was, and and they were going to rush the passer. It was an obvious passing situation, and they get a guy over me uh, uh, who goes in, in the other direction. So I pass him off, and here comes two linebackers running right between me and Conrad, and he takes them both. I got a feeling. <laughs> I said, Kyrie, give me, let me do something out here. <laughs> he was, uh, we, we, that was a, quite a, a unique group of guys, but Conrad was uh, was uh, one to himself. Uh, and, of course, Dan Deardorff, the Hall of Fame guy on the other side of Conrad, and, and Bob Young and Roger Finney on the other side with me. Uh, it was just a great group of guys. Uh, and we all uh, came together, especially when Jim Hannafin took over as the offensive line coach for Coach Coriel. Uh, that staff he brought in from San Diego State, man, was just amazing. And uh, uh, we were very fortunate uh, uh, to fit right into uh, the situation there with Hannafin particularly. Because he, uh, he, he really enjoyed coaching. He, uh, he wanted to help you do the best that you could on everything we did on the field. And I always respected that about Jim. Tom, uh when you were playing in the Pro Bowl, was that a serious thing back then, or was it, you know, now it's just flag football. What was it like when you were playing in it? We took a lot of pride in representing the guys that voted us in. The players voted the uh, the uh, participants to the Pro Bowl in back in those days. And if the, if the players thought enough of you to vote you into a starting position on the, on the Pro Bowl, you better go out there and, and give it all you got. And that was the way we approached it. You mentioned Coriel, and, and I've always found it very intriguing that uh, when he came to St. Louis, uh, y'all were run first, run second, yeah. and then think about passing. Yet when he goes to San Diego, he becomes known as Air Coriel. Uh, is, does that just goes to show you what a great football coach he was? Not only that, but his approach was always, I'll take the guy's strength. And, and we'll put that together, and we'll use that. So we, we were we were strong with it, with our running game in in, uh, in St. Louis. We had a great offensive line that had just come together. But Jim Otis, Terry Metcalf, Steve Jones from Duke was another one of our, our running backs. And these guys uh, they 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 uh, uh, followed our blocks so well. We were able to lead the league in rushing at the same time setting a, a and pass block is a whole lot easier when you can run the ball. If they, if oh, they yeah. got to, to wait and look and see what you're doing in the backfield, uh, uh, whether it be a run or a pass, then they can't really rush the passer like they do uh, nowadays, for instance, when they know every play is a, a pass. So they had to start to, to get back on their on their heels a little bit and wait and see if it was a running, running play or a pass before they could rush the pass. Tom, what's the what's a big mistake that a running back makes that doesn't help his uh, offensive line out at all? Well, uh, not paying attention to what you, what the line's trying to do, which they, they kind of doesn't make any sense. But if they will pay attention to it, like Jim Otis used to come into our, our meeting room sometime and try to watch what we were doing against certain defensive play, situations. Uh, if, if the 
running backs have got enough patience to let you completely uh, block what we're trying to do. If it might be two or three or four or five, uh, what we're what we're trying to do, and he can wait until those things are are done and then sprint right through. Jim Otis was a master at that, and of course Terry Metcalf, he could run any, anywhere, anytime. So we we enjoyed. And he was uh, fun to watch. Football. He was he was, he so was fun, fun to talk watch. for. I know that, um, but yeah, he he was fun to watch, just for sure. Tom, you're a, you're an Auburn guy. Have you got thoughts on Hugh Freeze and what's going to happen with uh, this season with the Auburn Tigers? Well, I got a lot of confidence in him. You know, the, the game has changed so much, Matt. Uh, guys coming and going, and, and uh, coaches doing the same thing. I'm uh, I'm real hopeful. Uh, one, we'll have some more patience and let, and let him. Uh, he's already building his program. It's going to take a little while, but uh, I, I, I'm uh, I, I think he's the answer. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping hopeful. Tom, uh, one of the many things that uh, we have in common is is baseball, and and I remember going over to watch a John Carroll game one afternoon, and uh, there sitting in a lawn chair was your dad. So I, I think you came by your love for baseball. Very honestly, I sat there and watched the game with him, and uh, I was I was fascinated. The the man knew the game very well. So go ahead. Go just and just let, I have a couple of questions concerning baseball, but first of all. So tell us a little bit about your dad. You two are, I think, the only father and son Hall of Famers from the Senior Bowl. But uh, I know he was uh, a great influence on your life. He was. He was a. Uh, he loved baseball. He was a um, uh, umpire to make extra money during during uh, during the spring and summer. Uh, we could always find Dad out at uh, uh, out in Central Park. He was. He was. He loved working out there with those uh, with those guys. But he was a great. He was an umpire that showed his enthusiasm every time he walked out on the field. And uh, you know, when I was a kid, he was he was the head uh, football coach at John Carroll. And uh, I'll never forget my first time being on the sidelines at Rickwood Field. Uh, this is before John Carroll had their own field. And uh, I was just so in, impressed with these guys uh, uh, that my dad was coaching, and uh, being able to watch them on the sidelines and, and being feeling more of a part of the of the team. Uh, that was I was in the I think sixth grade, uh, maybe fifth, but but uh, uh, I just knew it was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of a team like that, and uh, watching my dad and the way he uh, he worked with his coaches, but also the way he worked with his players, uh, it was it was inspiring to me. Tom, you got to play in what I consider one of the greatest baseball cities in America. St. Louis Cardinals baseball fans are the most loyal and I, I think they're the smartest fan base in, in all of baseball but was it cool to be able to go to games because I know you you had to have gone to them yeah I went to some and, and, uh, and really enjoyed it but let me tell you this those people are such good fans in St. Louis they'll cheer the other team when they do something good true, I mean, true. Where, where does anybody else do that uh, it's, uh, it's a great atmosphere uh, the people there in St. Louis, they love uh, they love sports first of all, but they really love to see all-out effort, and that was what they identified with when, in us when we were right there in the '70s. They knew our offensive line, and the guy uh, the guys on all our team. But with Coach Horio, uh, the, the the attitude that he projected there, uh, we picked all all of us picked up on it because it was so positive. 
and uh, we went out there and worked every day. And and we, we when we played the game, you could tell how much we cared about each other. And and that was uh, that was just I, I loved it. Uh, I, I would have stayed there forever if I could have. I don't think I've ever asked you this, but it just occurred to me that that was uh, ABA years, right? Did you ever go see them play with a red, white, and blue basketball? Did you ever see Fly Williams and the Spirits of St. Louis? I did, uh, and uh, really enjoyed that too, of course. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, me and my buddy Wally would make a trip over to Atlanta uh, every couple of months to see the Braves play in the, in, uh, the off season. But, uh, yeah, the, same, the, the Cardinals play and, and uh, uh, the teams that came in there, but, but the fans' reaction, uh, that was really fun to me. Uh, uh, I didn't know much about the, the football, uh, uh, the, the way people supported us in the stands because I was on the field. But when you're in the stands with them and you, and you see what's going on, uh, those people in St. Louis inspired me. Tom, um, is there any – do you have any – Pause. Let me try and use a gentle word there. Over your playing career, something that maybe you think, God, oh, I wish I'd done that instead of this. Well, <laughs> the um, let's see. The, my standard line is, uh, I would have saved some of the money and I would have played longer if anybody would have let me. So <laughs> I don't have any okay. regret. Those were those were uh, good times, um, and uh, I met such great people, man. I, I felt very fortunate. Uh, uh, Jim Hannafin, uh, Joe Gibbs, and, and Rod Dyer being the offensive coaches on our staff there with Coach Coriel. But Coach Coriel loved us so much. And, and he, he had kind of a lisp when he would talk, but he, I, I love you guys. And, and uh, he was just such, it was all from the heart with him. And, you know, if somebody comes out in, into uh, a meeting and, and they're up there just about to cry because they want to show you this, you can do it this and and the sincerity came coming from his body. Uh, he was just uh, uh, one of the finest men I've ever known. And uh, I sure did love playing for him. Did uh, he have similarities to Rod, Raleigh Dodge? Uh, the, the um, what's the word? Uh, the the uh, um, drive to make sure we cover everything and we're, we're, we're all, all on the same page. There, there's, of course, some similarities uh, when you're putting the staff together, uh, um, the people that you bring in and and, uh, and work with. Um, so I, I think they had some similarities, but but uh, Raleigh was a little a little more standoffish. Donna come in and uh, he'd be going around hugging everybody, and <laughs> he was just something else. Yeah. No, uh, Raleigh didn't appear to me to be a, a, a real huggy guy. Now, he was a fun guy and a wonderful man to be around. And if you got him to sing an old Danny boy, uh, <laughs> they, they, he wouldn't leave a dry eye in the house. But uh, hey, I always... Right uh, hey, uh, just final question. We'll wrap it up. But you, you mentioned Joe Gibbs several times. Did you see in him what he has achieved, not just in football, but in NASCAR? Well... You know, you never know because most of these football guys don't have any other interest about anything. They just just want to get in there and get their work done. But Joe, first of all, he was he was younger than some of the players when Coach Coriel came in in '73, and and he had a a, a uh, enthusiasm that he projected. Uh, he, he was there to learn. He, he wanted uh, wanted things done the right way, 
And when he got the head coaching job at Washington, we, we were all pretty sure he was going to be, be very successful. I had no idea about the NASCAR thing. Uh, but, uh, he, again, it's, you know, being a head coach is putting together the right people and, and put them in the right situation. And that's what he's done uh, there uh, in Washington, and, and that's also what, he, what he's done in NASCAR. So I, I wasn't surprised at his success in either one uh, because of the just the, because of knowing him. That's, that's the best way to put it. There are stories, and I don't doubt them at all, that he had a cot in his office in Washington when he was with the Redskins, and um, he slept on it probably two or three nights a week. Just Coach Corey did that in St. Louis. So Joe, Joe did he really? right <laughs> that is so awesome. Tom, I love spending time with you, man. You're really, really good. And as I said in the intro, you're my go-to guy, and I appreciate you helping us out on Friday afternoon. Call me anytime, man. It's always good to talk to you, buddy. Do you know? You know I will, because I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I don't wear anybody out out there. But no. <laughs> anytime somebody's got questions, I love to talk about those days. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I love talking with you about them. Thank you, Tom Banks. We'll talk again soon. Take care, man. All right, you too. Uh, we're going to wrap this show up, put a bow on a Friday when we get back. Uh, we hadn't talked much to our new producer, Justin Jones. We're going to do that when we get back and go over a couple more stories that uh, we probably haven't gotten to today. As you listen to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Visit Hide 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Occasionally cloudy with a chance of a few passing showers and thunderstorms this afternoon and early tonight. The high today 90, tonight's low 73. Or tomorrow a mix of sun and clouds with scattered showers and storms by afternoon. The high 91. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, uh, a big howdy and thanks to Tom Banks and to Lindsey Hall as well, who've been our guests today. I want to bring in Justin Jones, uh, our new producer, uh, who's all of a week old into this venture. Um, Justin, can I just fire a couple of questions and uh, let people get to know you a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Go for it. All right. And, you know, some of these I may have asked you or some of them I may have known, but uh, there's some wrong with repetitiveness, especially on a Friday. Where are you from? I know you've told me. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh, I, I grew up a military brat, so I've lived all yeah. over the country. Um, but my hometown, my family, my grandparents, uh, Greensboro, Alabama, as well as up in uh, Parrish, Alabama. Parrish, that's up near Cordova, isn't it? Yes, sir. Right there near Jasper. Aren't the Parish the Parish football team the Tornadoes or something like that? Uh, yes, sir. That's where my dad graduated from high school. I don't believe the school's open anymore, but uh, yeah, purple and white and the Tornadoes. I'm actually headed up there tomorrow. Um, my un- great uncle is being uh, up in oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the high school, but he's getting a, a locker room named after him. He passed away last year, and wow, um, he used to play for Auburn um, football and until the injury. So up there to do a ceremony for him. Who's the most famous person from Paris that you know of? You? <laughs> uh, maybe my dad. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my dad. I know uh, right before the school closed down, they did have some some big-time basketball recruits, but 
man, that was uh, a while ago for me, so I don't know if I can remember any of those guys. Why did you choose the University of Alabama? Well, when uh, my family's from Alabama, like I said, um, but I, I grew up in, uh, I was born in Augusta, Georgia, lived in Alaska really? for most of my younger life. Yes, sir. Um, and then El Paso, Texas. So uh, like most people like to, to go away from home and leave their parents, I decided to come back. And uh, so I've always dreamed about coming to the university as a kid and I was able to do that. When you were at Augusta, did you know what Augusta meant or were you too young? No, I, I was uh, only there until I was about three years old. Okay. Um, I am a big golf guy now, so I'm very envious of my dad. My dad got to go watch the Masters. Uh, he got to see Tiger win it back-to-back in, I, I believe, 01 and 02. So I, I've been back since then, so I know what it's about now, but not back then when I was just, just a baby. <laughs> um, I could picture you wearing the, the caddy whites and running around there toting a the bag for Tiger, but oh, I, I guess I you, you, you couldn't, you, you weren't doing that at the age of three, certainly. No, we've uh, um, come back and played some of those courses, though. Even just the normal public courses are incredible over there. Insane. And, and, and they're a public course adjacent to Augusta National? So there's another, it's private right next to it. Uh, it's okay. the Augusta Country Club, um, and it is just as exclusive a little bit less than Augusta National, of course, but it's also very nice. It's it's always weird, um, you know, driving down Washington Road and you can see Magnolia Lane <laughs> right after you drove past, you know, a Hooters and a gas station, and it's, it's tucked in there. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, uh, you playing now? Where do you play in Tuscaloosa? Go. Yeah, uh, me and my dad try to play as often as we can. Um, this past week, we were actually at the... Uh, RTJ course uh, down in Prattville, and I like playing Old Colony, the Lynx. Um, I've yet to play like Indian Hills or the Yacht Club here, but cross those off soon, hopefully. Uh, North River's a pretty good test of golf, so you might yeah. want to take a, a couple extra golf balls. Yeah. <laughs> I always make sure to bring a, bring a lot, just so I don't run out. Uh, what do you think about Alabama this year? Football. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I I know we've had a lot of callers questioning the quarterbacks. I like. Uh, I think some of the guests you've had on have said this as well. Um, it's. I can remember Jake Coker and I can remember Blake Sims. It's the same kind of thing. I don't know why Alabama fans are worrying. I think we're going to be in safe hands as long as Nick Saban is at the helm. And that's kind of part of the season as well. Um, like the Jalen Hurts season where we weren't sure going into that how it was going to go. And then we end up, you know, playing, uh, winning an SEC championship or, you know, going to Natty. I think we're going to be just fine this year. Do you sense that Alabama is a little bit under saving and back more to a run game and that will put less demands on the quarterback? Um, definitely. I'm, I'm very interested. I, my prediction is that Jalen Milrow is going to be the starter. Um, and I'm very interested in how Tommy Reese utilizes – um, RPO offense and I think with how stacked that Alabama's running back room is especially with you know you have the sense that Alabama's going back to a, an old school type of play with Kevin Steele coming back on defense but also Tommy Reese coming out initially and saying that they're going to kind of rely on that on that run game um, I think we're going to be smash mouth and I think running with the quarterback is going to be a big part of our offense as well uh, what do you think of Justin Haynes? I, I think that uh, he will come in and contribute greatly to an already talented uh, running back room. 
Uh, definitely. So I was at the A Day uh, covering it for the station, the A Day game, and that is what I was very excited to see was Justice Haynes, because I already knew that Jace McClellan is good, <laughs> um, and I was excited to see his next season and our kind of endless cycle of running backs here at the university. But it's always been better with two. I mean, we had um, Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs and Mark Ingram. And there's so many names. Eddie Lacy, Trent Richardson. There's always been two, and I think uh, Jace, as well as, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of course the names blank me now, but I think both running backs. Roy Dale Williams. Well. Roy Dale Williams as well, yes, sir. It's, it's uh, going to be interesting, yeah. though, to see if that older style of offense is still going to be as effective as it used to be for Nick Saban with the way that defense and other teams' offenses have changed. What do you think about Alabama defensively this year? I, I think they got a chance to be a really, really good team. And again, that kind of reverts back to what Saban built the program on. Definitely, I, I think, I think we're going to be really good. the The problem is that we have a lot of younger guys, and they really need to come out at the start of the season and make kind of a state. We need a statement game. I and I believe, you know, hear me out. I think the Texas game is going to be that is the best opportunity they're going to have to do that um great offense at texas especially with sark at the helm if they come out here with as good as our dbs are with kool-aid um and then the solid line up that we have up front with dallas turner if they go out there and kind of shut down texas one that momentum for our confidence is just going to keep riding through the season where we won't even need to worry about who our quarterback is just because we can rely on our defense again and Man I'm, man, I'm just so excited, especially listening to you guys talk about it this past week. I'm ready for some football. Um, have you ever been to an SEC media days? No, sir, I have not. I have, I have we need to send that. you. Yeah, send me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Everybody ought to do it at least once. I think I've got, uh, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm patting myself on the back. I think I've got 30 under my belt. Um, but what I really liked about it, yeah doing the stories, talking football, seeing the coaches, seeing the players, but seeing your uh, your buddies from throughout the Southeast, uh, guys that you've known in the media for years and years and years, um, that's worth the trip in its own right. But, um, you know, I think I got a little bit of the taste of that. Um, I went to the national championship game when it was in Tampa the year we, we lost to Clemson, and uh, hanging out in the um, you know the, the big ballrooms and stuff like that. Got to meet yeah. uh, Paul Feinbaum and got to see Tim Tebow and all of them. So that kind of media sense, it was exciting. So I can only imagine what the real deal is. Hey, it's a great business, man. Uh, it'll get in your blood and you can't shake it. I'm, I'm still doing it all, after almost 50 years of broadcasting. So it's a great deal and you're off to a great start. And I hope you have. You got plans for the weekend? You going to play golf? I, I might try to. Um, I'm actually moving out of my house, so I'm going to finish doing that today oh. and then go go set up my new living area. <laughs> uh, you, you're already doing a great job for us, and um, believe me, folks, that's that's not always easy, especially in today's times with the advances in technology. It blows right by me. Doesn't blow by people like Justin. So that's uh, it's a good thing. Have a great weekend, and thanks for Thank your efforts you. this Thank week. You. We you appreciate too, it. Matt. All right. See you Monday. The all-new Nissan Aria is.